You're listening to the chant Cantate Domino. It's the introit for the fourth Sunday after Easter in the traditional Roman calendar. Today is also the fifth Sunday of Easter in the newer calendar. It's the sixth of May in the year of our salvation, two thousand and seven. And this is Father Z with another podcast. We have as our guest today Saint Maximus of Turin, who flourished in the first half of the fifth century, and who may have died around 465 or a little bit after. I also have some comments about the modu proprio, which did not come out yesterday, the fifth of May, even though we were really hoping it would. And I have a note of gratitude to all of you who have been of help to this. What does the prayer really say? Project. Here we go. We really don't know all that much about the fixed points of the life of Maximus of Turin, and we get only very sketchy information uh, from uh, internal evidence in his sermons and some uh, concrete evidence in synods, the Acts of Synods, and also from a fellow by the name of uh, Gennadius of Marseille.、Uh, we know that he was. Uh, bishop of Turin, probably the first bishop of the brand new diocese of Turin,、uh, Torino, as the Italians call it, and what the Latins called Augusta Taurinorum. It's very interesting that、uh, even today the symbol of Torino, or Turin, is a bull, a Taurus.、Uh, we know that that bishop,、uh, that di- diocese, was cut off of the diocese of Vercelli. And so it was a very new diocese when Maximus was probably its first bishop, and we know that he was at a synod in Rome in 465, and that his signature follows immediately after that of the Pope himself, and so he must have been the senior bishop. Present, and we can guess he was around seventy years old, and we have no mention of him after four sixty-five, and so four sixty-five is often given as perhaps the date of his death. So you'll see, you know, kind of sketchy dates. He might have been born around three、uh, eighty, and probably died somewhere after four sixty-five. Now we don't know if he knew Saint Ambrose of Milan,、uh, who died in three ninety-seven, but clearly Maximus knew and used Ambrose's works,、uh, and he borrows from them. And his preaching is、uh, filled with little traces of Ambrose. 
and he may have therefore already been bishop by the time of September of 398 because there was there uh, uh, in Torino a synod that was attended by uh, bishops from northern Italy and from Gaul. And uh, so uh, Gennadius of uh, Marseille says that he left tractates or sermons and some books and some homilies. He's distinguishing between sermons and homilies here. But the body of his work that we have uh, contains quite a few spurious works, so we really have to kind of tease these things out and figure out what he really wrote and what he didn't. And uh, in his sermons, we have him preaching about the cycles of the liturgical year and different feast days and also about the feasts of saints. Now, Maximus, uh, in his uh, homilies and sermons, was not overly speculative. He's not strongly theological. He's very pastoral in his tone because he he uh, moves directly to moral things and uh, he applies, he seems to regard preaching as like a medicine or a corrective measure for souls and to help people convert. Now, if you think about it, you know, he's in a new diocese, a uh, very countryside area, lots of country folk, maybe very simple, and also paganism is still being practiced in those days. And so he needs to convert people and he needs to bring them back out of errors of practice uh, in moral problems and and uh, maybe syncretistic things that they have found into things that might be you know kind of blended or blurred together with paganism and so uh, maximus is very strong on on practices of prayer and very much in in favor of fasting and also uh, very strong about alms giving especially to obtain forgiveness of sins and uh, he wanted his people to be very consistent in their behavior and therefore he's very harsh about people who fast but then don't also at the same time help the poor and he's very hard on corrupt uh, civil servants and uh, politicians and he compares them to jackals and uh, he goes after clergy too clergy who are corrupt and his strength uh, of preaching on these subjects probably uh, comes from the fact that he was facing lots of different problems of inconsistency of Christian behavior among his people. He needed to make corrections and, and also get them on the right path. Uh, remember that this was still a time when paganism was still strong in that area. Now today's selection is from uh, Sermon 53. And as you listen to it, it will probably remind you right away of the great uh, exultet, the incredible hymn that is sung on the vigil of Easter, especially in the way that it describes Christ as the light and the day which transforms the darkness of night into perpetual brightness and so forth. You're also going to hear, uh, like you hear in the uh, in the exultet, the threefold division of the cosmos into the underworld or Tartarus, the underworld of the dead, and then the earth of the living, and then the heaven of the blessed. There's a, a very clear demarcation of these three different places. And in the case of the underworld and of heaven, Christ, who is the day and the light, opens up the gates uh, to let the dead out and to let or to let the blessed in in the case of heaven. And in the in the case of the land of the living, in this life, the earth, the earth is renewed and then begins to blossom again in the light. 
And uh, remember that it's it's now spring at the time when this sermon is being preached. The days have begun to get longer and the world is coming back to life. And so you can hear almost the springy nature of, of his words. And Maximus draws uh, immediately some moral conclusions from this transformation of night and the day into day and the renewal of the earth. Since heaven in heaven there can be no darkness, so too in the Christian who is filled with light from baptism and who is renewed, there should be no sin. You see, when Satan is driven out and death is driven out, then vices and sins should be driven out too. There can be no sin in heaven, therefore there can be no sin in the Christian. Well, let's move right into this selection from Sermon 53 of Maximus of Turin. Uh, this is from today, is the second reading for the Office of Readings on this fifth Sunday of Easter. Sermonibus Anti Maximi Taurinensis Episcopi Per resurrectionem Christi aperitur Tartarum, per neophytos ecclesiae innovatur terra, celum per sanctum spiritum reseratur. Christum is risen. He has burst open the gates of hell and let the dead go free. He has renewed the earth through the members of his church now born again in baptism, and has made it blossom afresh with men brought back to life. His Holy Spirit has unlocked the doors of heaven, which stand wide open to receive those who rise up from the earth. Because of Christ's resurrection, the thief ascends to paradise, the bodies of the blessed enter the holy city, and the dead are restored to the company of the living. There is an upward movement in the whole of creation, each element raising itself to something higher. We see hell restoring its victims to the upper regions, earth sending its buried dead to heaven, and heaven presenting the new arrivals to the Lord. In one and the same movement, our Savior's passion raises men from the depths, lifts them up from the earth, and sets them in the heights. Christ is risen. His rising brings life to the dead, forgiveness to sinners, and glory to the saints. And so David the prophet summons all creation to join in celebrating the Easter festival. Rejoice and be glad, he cries, on this day which the Lord has made. The light of Christ is an endless day that knows no night. Christ is this day, says the Apostle. Such is the meaning of his words, Night is almost over, day is at hand. He tells us that night is almost over, not that it is about to fall. By this we are meant to understand that the coming of Christ's light puts Satan's darkness to flight, leaving no place for any shadow of sin. His everlasting radiance dispels the dark clouds of the past and checks the hidden growth of a vice. The sun is that day, to whom the day which is the Father communicates the mystery of his divinity. He is the day who says through the mouth of Solomon, 
I have caused an unfailing light to rise in heaven. And as in heaven no night can follow day, so no sin can overshadow the justice of Christ. The celestial day is perpetually bright and shining with brilliant light. Clouds can never darken its skies. In the same way, the light of Christ is eternally glowing with luminous radiance and can never be extinguished by the darkness of sin. This is why John the Evangelist says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never been able to overpower it. And so, my brothers, each of us ought surely to rejoice on this holy day. Let no one, conscious of his sinfulness, withdraw from our common celebration, nor let anyone be kept away from our public prayer by the burden of his guilt. Sinner he may indeed be, but he must not despair of pardon on this day, which is so highly privileged. For if a thief could receive the grace of paradise, how could a Christian be refused forgiveness? Quam vise in peccator, in hac die de indulgentia non debet desperare, est enim prerogativa non parva. Si enim latro paradisum meruit, cur non mereatur veniam Christianus. That was part of Sermon 53 of St. Maximus of Turin. And remember when he was preaching that, uh, it was springtime again, and you heard him talk about the earth, uh, which was renewed in Christ's resurrection, and it's now budding forth uh, people who are rising again. Innovata terra germinat resurgentes. Well, a german is a bud or a shoot. So people who are reborn in baptism in Christ are like spring shoots. And notice also that that language of renewal and the land also is in uh, conjunction with the work of the Holy Spirit and also in conjunction with those who are ascending. And this calls to my mind uh, the very famous prayer uh, that we all know to the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. The language of this sermon reminds me a little bit of that prayer, and which is very appropriate, uh, very apt, as we draw ever closer to Ascension and to Pentecost. We're now at the fifth Sunday of Easter in the newer calendar already. Cats and kitties out there, I'm a little sad that the motu proprio didn't come out today. It is the 5th of May, and so many of us thought that it would. 
but we really just don't know really what's going to happen with this, do we? Uh, it might have been signed today, uh, and it'll come out later. It might have been signed a long time ago, and it's just being postponed. Maybe it hasn't been signed yet. We know that there are a lot of different groups pressuring for this not to happen, but we also know that our Holy Father is uh, pretty much convinced that this uh, really for older form of Mass should be restored. I mean, he's talked about it for years and years, and we've heard from so many different people, including the Cardinal Secretary of State, Cardinal Bertone, that the thing exists. Uh, we know from various cardinals that it does. We know from the reaction of other bishops, from bishops' conferences, that the thing does exist. So it's going to happen one of these days, and I think it's important that it does. Uh, so many people will be consoled when it does come out, and uh, that's one of the reasons why they're frustrated and maybe even hurt that it didn't come out today. Um, I think that the side-by-side -side celebration of the older form of Mass is going to be very, very important in helping liturgical practice with the present Novus Ordo Mass and put it back on track. You know, there are a lot of younger priests uh, who didn't know uh, the older form of Mass, and they have had only kind of a sketchy understanding of of what you know what it was but they're very interested because they don't have the baggage of the 60s and 70s and they are they're interested in learning and when they do learn something about the older form of mass they learn how to say mass even the novus ordo very differently they learn a new way to approach these things and it helps the liturgical practice of the church in many different ways so the side by side celebrations of the older form of mass with the newer will be very beneficial and you know another reason why i think this just simply has to happen and that pope benedict will eventually do it is that it's just it's the right thing to do uh, great harm was done to the church's liturgical life when the older form of mass was simply cut off and the new mass was just imposed outright uh, like almost like overnight especially because it didn't or grow so organically out of the church's experience but it was a an artificial creation of experts so it was put together on a desk now this doesn't mean that that it's automatically bad but it means that because of the way that it was put in and because of what it is we do need some healing, and the older form of mass can help that. It's just the right thing to do. It, it wasn't right simply to take that, that away. But in the meantime, I think we have to keep uh, some perspective, and we need to have maybe a little sense of humor about it. Uh, so many people are frustrated and hurt right now. They're in a little bit of pain, but I think that we have to keep it in perspective and maintain our our high spirits. There are so many blessings that lie upon our backs, as Shakespeare said in Romeo and Juliet. So many uh, packs of blessings lie upon our backs, and uh, we have to remember that. You know, keep the perspective of of who we are as a people. You know, all those stories, for example, in the in, in the Bible. Uh, aren't just about you know aren't just fictions about people long ago and far away it tells our story as as the church it's a, like our reading our family history and they endured terrible weights and longings and disappointments as they uh, were forced uh, to to wander in a desert or the wilderness or maybe they were you know the people of God was in exile for so long in Babylon uh, Simeon and Anna waited so long to see the Messiah and uh, even when the the people were wandering with Moses in the wilderness they were grousing weren't they about 
their manna and their quail and so forth. But remember that God knows what's good for us. He knows better than we do, and he will give us what we need in the right time. So in the meantime, uh, we can raise our prayers and our hopes and our aspirations to God. We can pray and fast and give alms. Giving alms is a powerful, powerful tool. Uh, giving alms and uh, being generous, performing works of mercy, uh, always with the intention of uh, supporting the Holy Father in the decisions and the terribly difficult ministry that he has. You you can also raise your hopes and aspirations to his holiness. You can always write to the Holy Father and uh, and speak your peace. But remember, but if you write to the Holy Father, here's a little piece of advice. Just like writing to anyone in the Vatican or writing to your bishop or even writing to your priest, uh, keep it short, 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 the shortest possible letter. Keep it on one side of one page if you can possibly do it that way. That means you have to kind of cut to the chase. Don't whine and don't tell you know him that what you've got is so bad or anything like that. I mean, they've already heard all these stories. But raise up to them your hopes and your aspirations, your positive uh, hopes and aspirations. Tell them how much you long for it. Tell them how happy it will make you, and uh, promise you know prayers and support. Because even though sometimes our pastors uh, do questionable things or things that are inexplicable to us, make us really scratch our head and wonder, or maybe even be sad sometimes. Nevertheless, uh, these are uh, are chosen by God uh, to fill the roles of pastors in the church. God doesn't chose choose those who are worthy he chooses those whom it pleases him to choose and they and as members of the church we need to support each other and in the meantime do think about the blessings that we really do have we might not have the motu proprio but we do have many blessings both as individuals and as members of the church so yes folks it's, it's going to happen i really think it's going to happen but we're going to have to wait a little longer baby i just don't have anything something for which I am profoundly grateful, and that is all of you. You who read The Wanderer and my articles there, people who participate at the blog, those of you who listen to these podcasts, uh, you make a big difference to me. And uh, many of you have also made donations using the donation button on the left sidebar of the blog. And for you, I have a particular note of gratitude. Uh, you have made a big difference uh, when, for example, the the traffic, increasing traffic of the blog um, 
caused the server to be crashing all the time and my old hosting company was going to shut me down so many of you sent donations and it got me over the hump and also then joint the people at joint came to my rescue and our rescue and uh, now they have us on an industrial strength server that can handle all the traffic i'm very grateful to all of you especially in that moment of need uh there's a particular person out there also who helped me recently you know when monsignor richard schuler in st paul died um this is the man who brought me into the church and did so much for church music and uh, for vocations i was afraid i wasn't going to be able to go home and attend the funeral but someone out there made a donation large enough for me to go home to fly home for monsignor's funeral and i am very very grateful to you it made a big difference to me and also um recently uh many people have sent you know small donations here and there and uh with the difference of the euro and the dollar right now this has made a huge difference because and this might seem like kind of a mundane thing but uh, my old cassock just basically died it it died it uh, rip means more than rest in peace i'm afraid it fell apart and uh because of the donations i was able to get myself a new cassock and so now i'm back in the cassock again as it were and uh it's because of people who sent in donations so i'm very very grateful every time i get you know feedback or uh a donation from one of you it's like a shot in the arm a little bit of consolation gives me a little hope a little more energy uh get me through the day and keep working on these on these projects so i'm very grateful to all of you and as a little sign of my uh appreciation on the 8th of may which is the feast of our lady of pompeii i will uh bring a list of people who have m- made donations with me to the altar and i will say mass a mass of thanksgiving for all of you i am and if you haven't done it you know have you haven't done anything like that don't worry maybe you could say a prayer for me uh do a little fa- maybe fasting maybe a little alms giving uh to help me be a good man a good catholic and a good priest I'm grateful to all of you. Please uh, keep coming back to the blog and participating in any way that you can. Uh that's wdtprs.com. What does a prayer really say? Amen.